the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And I'm joined with your very own James Payne. Um, James, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, good good day today and, and good evening so far. And yeah, looking forward to this. Good evening. Wow. I didn't think I'd hear that. Oh, I didn't hear <laughs> that. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Forgiven. Well, hopefully they have a good evening because they've, they've, they've kicked off against United, haven't they? So yeah, they have. keep an eye on yeah. that. Um, we've also got a very special guest. That's right. Um, I did mention it in the last podcast. Uh, in the last podcast near the end. Um, I'm really excited and quite honoured to have Mo Hyder on the show. So Mo, um, hello, welcome. How are you doing this evening? I'm not too bad, my friends, and the honour is all mine. Thank you very much for having me on and looking forward to having a good good little chat with you guys. Yeah, we've we've been looking forward to this for a very long time. Me and James have been talking about it mm-hmm. and um I've been I've been listening, watching your different perspectives and the way that you explain the situation at Arsenal for a very long time, probably since like the last few years of Wenger's reign. Um and so I'm hoping this is gonna be a fascinating discussion because I really like the way that you draw um the situation at Arsenal and just the way that you interpret um the events that go on uh so yeah this is going to be really interesting now we 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 it's even more interesting because we come off um on the back of a really significant victory against spurs and you know a couple of weeks ago or say a few a few weeks ago we would be talk- we would be having a completely different discussion tonight but it seems like the tide has changed ever so slightly um i'm one of those guys that need to be shown quite a lot before I'm, you know, Swain, 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 um, before, <laughs> before, before I'm proven, before I'm proven wrong, let's say. So Mo, um, give me your kind of your, your summarized reaction to that emphatic kind of victory. Um, Arteta proving most doubters wrong and, and more importantly, the 11 players proving themselves kind of wrong as well or right yeah. um yeah, yeah well yeah look firstly thank you so much man you you kind of mentioned that you've been checking the stuff out that i've been doing and saying for for a while so i do really appreciate your support bro that's uh very kind to hear and then yeah going going to arsenal you know you called it a very significant or a significant victory and and i think that's a perfect word for it it's it was a culmination of three very significant victories because there was so much focus on those three games after the three games that we lost at the start of the season and i i I personally think that after that man city thrashing or third defeat in a row Mm. bottom of the league with no points and no goals scored i don't think many people would have seen us picking up nine points even though that yes all these three games were winnable um i just think that we were at such a low point that we really didn't have that much confidence in the fan base for someone to turn around and say we're definitely gonna get nine points you know they would have been people saying that they would have been in the minority in my opinion and I think even the win against Norwich reflected that um it was a tetchy you know performance where our, our finishing wasn't on point against Burnley it was a better performance than Norwich but again our final pass wasn't on point it was better than Norwich but still not at the required level and then Tottenham game comes round, which is such a huge game and the pressure can get the better of people and I really really expected this game to be one where both teams are in their shell and I thought that would have been a reflection on the manager's positions you know in their precarious positions given that 
you know, prior to the game, any game that Arsenal or Tottenham had won in the Premier League this season, they had only won 1-0. So that was five victories. And by the smallest, most basic method possible, the traditional boring 1-0 win. And I think that really shows where these two teams are at the moment. So I thought that would make the game reflective of two managers that are very, very scared to lose because it was such a significant game for both managers. But I was so pleasantly surprised. So I think, as you said, the result was significant, but the performance for me potentially was even more significant because it was comprehensive. And I did ask myself the question, you know, Harry Kane missed a couple of chances and they hit the bar. And I thought, was it closer than I thought? But I have to say, whether it was because Arsenal was so good or whether it was because Tottenham was so bad, mm. had that result been anything other than an Arsenal win, I think it would have been a, a massive injustice and I think we would have felt very hard done by. Yeah, absolutely. And me and James were discussing this on the on the post-match yeah. reaction um, about whether it was the case that Arsenal were too good or Spurs were too, were too poor. Um, there's, there's a little pattern that I've noticed about this squad, this manager and the characteristics that they all kind of contain. And it's that... Um, I think we 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 get the best out of this Arsenal squad when they're under immense pressure. Um, I cast ourselves back to last year, November, where we were going through that absolutely horrendous form run of games. Um, you know, winning a Europa League game and then losing a Premier League game, and then all of a sudden introducing the likes of Emil Smith Rowe and Saka, and things being turned around quite quickly. And it seems like um, we've only seen the best of Arteta when he when his neck is on the line. Um, and it seems like you know the same kind of situation now with a, a, a quite a good run of games um, coming in now. Um, Brighton's going to be tough, of course, but with the number of injuries that they've got, who knows what might happen there. Um, James, what do you think the chances are that, I mean, how long do you think this kind of form continues before we end up having the same kind of conversation? Because it's inevitable that, you know, Arsenal fans, we are going to be disappointed one way or another, unless they go on to, you know, finish top four or, um, you know, win a trophy. Um, I I still see that as being quite a high expectation, but um, how long can this kind of good form continue on for? I think some people would possibly say that Brighton would would be a hard game and could be a game that we possibly could lose. But um, the Brighton game is, is probably one of the most difficult just because of where they are right now in the league. Uh, they are very. They seem to be very clued on on what they want to do and how they want to go about games. You see, uh, they managed to get a goal back in the 90th minute. Malpay always seems to score late on, and will. He loves scoring no against doubt. us as well. Yeah, no, he yeah loves scoring against us. Uh, he even said in his in his post match press conference when he was talking to Thierry that he loves scoring against Arsenal and and things like that. So, um, how long do I think it can go on for? I think that's up to the, the players and how how they their belief and their their because we're we're just fans. The 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 players are are there doing it on the pitch every week in week out. So only they can decide whether they want to keep it going. Um, mentally and physically, but I would I would say I don't expect it to come to a, an end abruptly. I'd say a few more win a few more wins are are, are going to come, but whether they come straight straight away at Brighton, I don't know. But I would love I would love to win at Brighton because it would be a Brighton would be a statement because too many times last season uh, we've Brighton have been a, a sort of a bogey team for us. So hopefully we can get past past Brighton. 
Mm. And look, I think if we win, it would. Yeah. Put, if they win, it would put Brighton at the top of the league. So yeah, and uh, you know, <laughs> it does. I mean, it doesn't really get any easier after that. You've still got Palace, who are another bogey team. Villa, who yeah. are slightly picking up form. Leeds, you know, you never really know what you're going to get. With Leeds, um, but that's that is the Carabao Cup. So, um, but Mo, look, yeah. I was talking about the the characteristics of these personalities, um, and and there is such a stark difference between the group of players that we saw against City and the group of players we saw against Spurs um, and it seems to me that Arsenal Football Club are like the epitome of what um, a bipolar disorder is you know you, you get really ext- extremes on both ends um, how long do you think before you know we start seeing the quote-unquote same old Arsenal or that kind of mentality seeping back in um, as much as I don't want to see it I, I like I said I need to be shown a lot more to believe that we've turned a corner um, and, you know, confidence is like 75% of the game. In my opinion, I think momentum is really important to hold on to when you've got it, but when you lose it, it's incredibly hard to rebuild it again. So what does Arteta need to do in order to maintain what he's got? Yeah. I mean, it, look, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the same conversations are being had across the whole fan base. You know, after the Man City defeat, it was all about the next three games, how many points. Now those three games are done, we've exceeded the expectation. Now the whole conversation is about have we turned a corner or, you know, is this potentially enough or not enough to to kind of cement Arteta's place with a bit more security? And different people have different answers. My personal thought is that we... This just puts us at a zero position. Three awful games, three good victories. Um, now I kind of feel like, all right, over to you. Let's see what the team has got. And for me, I'm, I'm really going to judge a team in October. This is for me now a point where we wipe the slate clean. Brighton away, Palace at home, Villa at home, Leeds at home, Leicester away. So... Mm-hmm. I think those four games, obviously one of them, uh, Carabao Cup, leads at home. Those uh, five games are going to tell us everything that we need to know about this squad. They've answered the initial question after the three defeats. And we know now that look, they've got something about them. But in terms of the consistency piece and where we really stand with Arteta in terms of Look, last season was awful. Um, is this a false dawn? Or can you actually be someone that we can rely on as a manager and, and you know, in terms of motivating a squad? This is the month that tells us that. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what the fan base, what the questions, what the conversations are being discussed and asked across the fan base in one month's time. I also think what's more important rather than looking at Arteta is, is looking at the characters in in the squad. And we saw quite a lot on, on Sunday, on Sunday afternoon. Um, some of them, you know, shouting the, the responses back up, back in our faces. Um, I, I really loved the moment where Emmy scored his goal. Emmy, sorry. <laughs> Mill Smith Rowe. <laughs> Smith- when Smith Rowe scored his goal and then the celebration was just, you could see it in his face. Um, said it at the yeah. end of the end of the match, it was the best day of his life. Um, with Bakayo Saka. We know we've got gems in there, but his personality is like Granite Shaka, who I admire because of his his kind of brute, his his natural ability to lead on the pitch, but also um, not really shy away from you know showing his his authority. Um, Mo, do you do you think that there are enough personalities on that pitch to 
get us through rough periods. Um, give me, give me your kind of key performers um, on that Sunday afternoon, and sure. just briefly and, touch but, on you know what it is that they've got. Yeah, I do think now there are enough characters. We've often talked about a lack of leadership and uh, not enough, not having enough leaders. I actually do think now we do have enough. So let's start with Aaron Ramsdale. Um, he really has come in and and hit the ground running so much quicker than any Arsenal fan expected. He, he really has, and he deserves an immense amount of credit for that. And not only that, it's not just that he's just doing his job sort of in a siloed way. He's having a big impact on the defence for me and is incredibly vocal. When you're actually at the games, you see, you know, because one half, it obviously depends on where, where you sit, but for me... I was standing behind him in, in, in the ground at Burnley, again, behind him uh, at the Emirates against Tottenham. And you see just how animated he is. You see him shouting at the team and you think to yourself, wow, you're a young goalkeeper that's not intimidated at all. So I see leadership in him. Also, not so much with Ben White, but with Gabriel, I, I thought he put in a, a... I think Ben White played well against Tottenham as well, but especially Gabriel, for me, played brilliantly. And I see him as someone who sort of does the by-example leading rather than maybe being as vocal. But I certainly feel like... I, I feel like he's on the verge of stepping up and being a kind of a... A defender that others will envy, other teams will envy. And I don't think we've mm. had that for a while, other than Kirantini. I'm talking about centre-backs. So whilst we look at defenders at other clubs, and, you know, um, obvious one is Virgil van Dijk, for example, um, and, and envy them, we haven't had one for a while that I can remember. I think Gabriel has got that in him. And then we've got Thomas Partey in the middle, who I think, you know, away at Burnley, he really just showed me what he's all about because he was almost isolated in that midfield. And I thought to myself, when I saw that um, selection from Arteta, I thought, you sure about this? Thomas Partey versus Burnley, that's a midfield battle. Yeah. And he made it look easy. You know, he really did. And I know it's only Burnley, but he was the only anchor in that midfield. He did brilliantly and again, did brilliantly against Tottenham as well. So I I think that there is a lot of character there. If Aubameyang can now start showing the character that we know he has got as well, then that is that for me is plenty of people that when the going gets tough, they have what it takes to dig deep and get us out. But it's about whether... Um, you know, I don't want to call anything into question here, but when I saw the performance by Bamiyang against Tottenham, I did not know he had that in him. Mm. So whilst I was very proud of him on the day, I can't help but thinking, well, why haven't I seen that before? You mm. know, why haven't I seen you leading like a target man and all of that amazing work rate, that aerial ability? So for me, there's almost a bit of an on-off switch. And this isn't just about Arsenal. This is about all players in all teams. And it's a case of, I just want to make sure that switch is always on. And if it is on, I believe in this team. Mm. James, same goes for you, yeah. really. I mean, you know my thoughts on on players like Odegaard, um, yeah. players like, well, you mentioned, Mo mentioned Partey, um, especially in the North London derby, there was one man that really stood out for me and that was Odegaard. Um, and I felt like mm -hmm. his work rate sometimes is maybe unnoticed because of how 
seamless he makes it look um yeah leading i mean you know people people often don't realize the little minute details in in odegaard's game it's about pointing to players to get into certain positions it's about shifting a couple steps to the left in order to open up that pocket of space for someone else to run into it's those kind of things that i love in a footballer and it's so kind of almost i hate to say it so kind of Urzul-esque um, <laughs> just, just opening up the pitch a little bit for people to run into and giving the limelight to others and I think on the day players like Saka Mil Smith-Rowe and Aubameyang looked good because of him um, but give yeah. me your kind of standout performer and um, why and, and maybe why whether they have the capacity to grow um, or whether we saw the best because I feel like for, for most players we saw a very good, if not kind of the best performance that we could. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm being harsh, but when I see like performances like that from Gabriel, I kind of expect it the same with Kieran team. Yeah. It's like you don't really look at these and, and it doesn't awe you. It, you, you know, the moment that um, Kieran Tini kind of stuck out to me was uh, last year against West Brom when he scored that incredible goal. And then after that, it's just been a repeat and it doesn't in really surprise me anymore. Yeah. In the snow. So um, yeah, give me your stand up performer and um, whether yeah. we, we have um, possibly to see them. Firstly, I agree, with, I agree with Mo. I think Aaron Ramsdale has come in like a duck to water, you would say, and has really stamped his uh, authority in that, in that goal, in, the, in that goalkeeper position. You can only see how annoyed he got when, um, uh, when uh, Lucas Moura took that shot. And I think it was Lucas Moura. I think that was yeah. the point where, where he got really annoyed at um, his defenders. Um, and rightly so. Um that we spoke uh, on the podcast about um, captains and goalkeepers, and I used I used uh, an, like a, a phrase or a, an analogy that said you don't you don't need to be wearing the captain's armband to be a captain, and that's what Aaron Ramsdale replicates for me. He's like a captain not wearing the armband because he's he he's like really authoritative in his in his box and and doesn't mind to have a doesn't mind to to show people his, his bad side and nasty side when it warrants it, which I think is great because we spoke about Leno and I don't really want to compare them, but I, I feel like you're forced to in this situation. Leno is a bit, is a bit, I feel like he's a bit soft and doesn't really, I don't really, I don't really think he calls out much, but I've seen Ramsdale, he's been calling out his defenders and, and doing various bits and pieces and, and really praising his defenders when they get things right. You see Tommy Asu and um, Ramsdale as well. Having that embrace on on Sunday, uh, Tommy Asu as well has really yeah, impressed me. Another um, incredible performance. <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, the amount of people that have said recently that that's a that's a transfer that we've got right is kind of nice to see because most people say most people like to say rival fans, oh, that he's he's not really good enough. I, I saw I saw a thing from I think it was Carve in on in midweek that said he got a, he got a um, like a, a text that said. Uh, Tommy Asu was 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 touted to most Premier League clubs. We don't know what his best position is, and he can't play in defence. Well, that's clearly a, that's clearly a mistake. So whoever sent that is completely wrong. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the others. You, I talk about Saka and Smith Rowe. I think they're the main ones as well. Aubameyang uh, showed showed some really good. Uh, I don't know, really good. Tenacity at the weekend. We spoke about how he knocked. Who who did Tanganga? I think he knocked to the floor. Was it? 
Uh, I can't remember. I don't think it was Tanganga. I think it was the. I think it was Sanchez. It was a moment we just Sanchez. shoved Sanchez onto the ground, and it was like we yeah, never see that kind Sanchez. of nasty side yeah, from him. You never, yeah, you never see that, and it is an all fun derby, and you you want to see that from your players. But I haven't even, you know, you don't really see that side to a because he's always kind of the nice guy. And I said, I also I also made reference to the. Tottenham Hotspur documentary. Yes, I have watched it. Um, but I also made reference to what Mourinho said about being nice guys. You can't be a nice guy when you're in the Premier League and playing uh, in the league you are. You have to be nasty if you want to win. And that's what I think we have to kind of embody. But not not in like tackling people and injuring them. I mean, like having that nasty mentality that you, we're, we're not going to sit down and, and be walked over. And we're just going to try and win every game and, and, and really go for it. Mm. So look, can I, uh, yeah, I just want to step in and make a point um, just to echo what you said about Erdegaard's work rate. And I think it's so, it's crazy to me that people wouldn't notice, but maybe you make a good point. Maybe people haven't noticed because sometimes I kind of feel like you look for what you're expecting. So you'll notice a sort of like a defensive midfielder intercepting a ball. You won't necessarily notice a, uh, attacking midfielder doing it because you know you're looking for the assist from that attacking midfielder not from the defensive midfielder if that makes sense yeah. so if just in case people haven't noticed it this honestly isn't meant as some sort of like shameless plug but after every single match that after every single fixture on my youtube channel i do a five at five and it's just five things that i noticed and there was one incident in the burnley game in the 62nd minute so if anyone wants to go and watch a full match highlights and skip to that go and do it there was Erdegaard, Saka, Pepe and Aubameyang counter-attacking and they get to the edge of Burnley's box can't remember who was at fault the move breaks down Saka, Pepe, Aubameyang in their own individual ways just showed a bit of kind of like frustration at the move breaking down not not um, I don't mean that in a negative way frustration but naturally frustrated because you know they wanted to convert that into a goal and um, Erdegaard was with them he was slightly behind them edge of the box sort of thing he his frustration lasted about half a second and then instantly he was on the turn so he didn't actually break momentum almost um and he was on the turn and then within seconds was back at the halfway line now he didn't make like a bursting tackle or anything on the halfway line and win the ball back but to me it just showed what he's all about he does all of this stuff and he does it very seamlessly which is a word you mentioned and i think it's a really really good point mm. he is not sort of done for the cameras it's not a uh mad charge like you know like a Wayne Rooney would do where obviously people love it but you know he wants to be noticed doing that it's just part of Erdegaard's game and I think mm. he applies himself really really well so look out for it if you haven't um just how well he presses the intensity of it and and the work rate going forwards and backwards that he possesses mm. And just on that, you know, uh, I made a point on the um, post-match podcast um, about Odegaard potentially needing to prove to himself that he's he's good enough because um, it hasn't worked out for him at Real Madrid. It didn't work out for him. I mean, it worked out for him really well at um, Sociedad, but then came back to Real Madrid and it didn't work. And he's been going through those kind of really frustrating periods, season in, season out, not being able to break through. Um, so I think this year he really wants to prove to himself that he is good enough and that he is world-class because um, he's, you know, been on the hype wagon for a very, very long time, um, but it's never kind of come into fruition. Uh, but look, we saw those performances and now I guess we can kind of gauge um, this, dare I say it, process that we're on. Um, so I want to ask you guys, when mm -hmm. do we start 
trusting this kind of new project youth Mikel Arteta's process and um, Mo do you still think that do you think do you th- firstly do you think three games is enough for us to start trusting um Arteta and um kind of trusting him in the hot seat um and if so what is this process what is Absolutely. the process on the pitch and what is the process off the pitch because at one point all six uh, Arteta signings were on the pitch and i have to say i don't think we've got a bad word to say about any of them yeah i mean um I think all of the signings are performing very well right now, to be honest with you. And very well is an understatement in some of them cases. Ramsdale and Tomiyasu are the, the key, uh, absolutely just incredible. Um, but, you know, your, your question about three games, is that enough? Absolutely not. No chance in hell. Mikel Arteta has had a lot of games now as manager. So to sort of just judge him on those three would, would just be a strange thing to do. Mm. It's enough, as I said earlier, for me to wipe the slate clean this season. But that's kind of, that's what I do as a fan. I, I'm not one of those people that has an agenda and then sticks to it because I want to be proved right sort of thing. I'm more than happy to always look for an opportunity to wipe the slate clean with a player, you know, or with a manager. Because I my my natural inclination is that I I always say this, I want the most direct and efficient route to success for Arsenal. And what that means is the players who are already there, the managers that who is already there doing the job. Because if you have to change things, well, that's not the most direct and efficient route. Why would I want to go through failure to get to where I want to get to? But I feel like a lot of people, they once they say something, especially when they say it publicly, they kind of feel like that. Let's say, for example, someone says, Nketiah is not any good. His success is almost a failure on their part because they would have got it wrong. And I, I can't really relate to that. So whilst it's not enough, it does let me say, wipe the slate clean, let's go again with renewed vigour. And, you know, I try and tell myself, no, give them a chance. Maybe this is the point where it turns around. Because in history, you look at different managers, there's been a point in time <coughs> where things click and things turn around. So I live in that hope. So as I said before, this month, October, this is the month. The three games for me haven't changed my opinion on Mikel Arteta, but I really, really hope in one month's time, I can turn around and say, Listen, overall, it's still not good enough, but we're really seeing signs now that hopefully it has actually clicked and we've turned that corner. And what about the, I don't know, I don't know what to call this, not necessarily the process, but the things that he's come in and that he's changed. I mean, you said that there's been uh, more than enough games to kind of create a case study um, about his time at Arsenal. Do you think the football that he's trying to introduce and his philosophy um, is good enough, is positive and influential and powerful enough in order to move this club forward? And if so, I mean, let me me start by asking you, what do you think the philosophy is that Arteta is trying to uh, preach? Well, certainly... um quite tactically focused. I I am starting to see things now where I feel like, okay, I understand what he's trying to do. Whilst the first three games, I absolutely did not. This asymmetric fullback sort of vibe he's got going on in the back four with Tini push forward, that is very clearly an identity now. So I think previously when people said, I don't see what Arteta's trying to do, I agreed with that. Now, 
now that he's got those players that he wants, I am starting to see that. It's very clear. Even little things, for example, I've noticed from goal kicks, look, look out for this yourself. Aaron Ramsdale will line up the ball. He'll send all of his players over to one side of the pitch, for example, the left-hand side. Mm. Sometimes we'll play it there. Other times, he'll actually play it in the middle of the pitch and you'll get two or three players making a diagonal run, like a sprint into the middle. And I see that sort of element of surprise and um, some sort of like other set piece routines where I, I see that coming out of Arteta. So finally, I see him, see the, some of the training ground work that he's doing coming out. Um, and, and I do feel like there is that identity there in terms of playing out from the back. I don't think we're doing it very well right now. If you have to go and say who are the three best teams in the league from playing out from the back, it's obviously not Arsenal and, and we will aim to get there. But for me, that that um, tides into that renewed hope and optimism that I'm convincing myself to have because I honestly did not see that in the first three games. So maybe the standards are so low right now because of how badly we started, but two one nil wins and you know convincingly beating Tottenham purely because that was a good performance is enough for me to start looking at all these positives. So I don't know, maybe you guys can tell me whether I'm sort of being a bit overly optimistic or whether my current thoughts on the squad and the the, the manager are in keeping with how you're feeling. Um, Right. So, okay. Uh, I want to, I want to hear from James first before I give my two cents, but James, um, we, you, you, you tagged me on a, on a post on, on Twitter. Um, I it, was did. A, it was a clip of uh, Ben White and the way that he's been distributing the ball from the back. Um, it's probably one of the main reasons why we signed him. Um, and the quote, uh, sorry, the, 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 the tweet also had um, Arteta briefly talk about the role of Van Dijk um, mm-hmm. when, when, when we got beaten by Liverpool last season and how he was in awe of the way that they distributed football. Um, the process we, uh, mm. I think it's safe to say we kind of know what the process is in the sense that this summer transfer window has given us has given us a really good kind of identifier of what the club's trying to do. Um, a very risky approach, but it seems to be working at the minute. How how far away are we from the completion of this kind of project? I think there's still some. I think there's still some time to go. I agree with Mo. We're seeing we're seeing little tiny tiny increments of the process and what, what it will eventually look like. But um, I think, it, to, to put it quite simply, we're just starting to build the house. We're just starting to build... We've built, we've built the foundations. Now we're, now we're building the windows, the doors, everything else. And uh, it's the process of building a house is, is how, I, how I would put it. Um, so you're starting to see all these little... You know, as as Mo said, Ramsdale from goal kicks. You know the centre back thing that you just said. These little tiny little pieces of the jigsaw that were that will hopefully and eventually lead to bigger things and, and great things for this football club under Bicca Arteta. But right now, I do think it's a bit too early to say. You know, let's. You know, that we're there. I don't think that we're there yet. I still think we have some time to go. And some and some and some growth to to be had, but we're certainly on the right track. Because mm. I don't know about you guys, um, but at the beginning of the season, I did say that I'd give Arteta ten games, and I think ten games takes you into uh, October. Um, and yeah. I've, I've quickly learned that I think you know everything needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. Um, Brentford, we lost two 0 and we know the circumstances of that game. COVID basically um got in the way of of us playing our strongest starting 11 however um 
well, I think there's the there's the factor of, you know, Brentford playing their first ever Premier League game in their brand new stadium with a rocking crowd. Um, but I still think we should have we should have we should have beaten them. Um, and then you had Chelsea and then City, um, two of the strongest teams in the Premier League, probably two contenders to to win the Premier League come the end of the season. Um, and then the majority of the fan base or, you know, I've seen, uh, I definitely saw it um, around quite a lot. The season starts now. The season starts at this point at Norwich. Um, for me, I have to be honest, the Norwich performance was a very positive one, but the scoreline just didn't reflect it. Um, I felt like we were dominant all over the pitch. We were creating amples of opportunities. I didn't feel like Norwich were ever going to be um, a threat. And one line, one nil, sorry, was quite fat, flattering for them. Um, going away to Burnley is never an easy place. And we've experienced that on a hard way. Um, it is their fortress. It, I think, you know, Turf Moor has been the saving grace for Burnley um, and the reason why they've survived for so long in the Premier League. So it's always difficult to go away to Burnley. And I think it was a scrappy game. Uh, White, ben White talked about the, the pitch being quite dry. It definitely seemed that way because the team couldn't string together two passes. And I was quite surprised. I mean, I didn't really know what was going on. But um, look, we got the job done. 1-0 victory. Um, and then finally, Tottenham, the football you know, we saw the element of the Norwich game, um, which is the kind of free-flowing, nice, attractive, uh, dominant football, but also it matched the scoreline, which is which is something that we've been um, crying out for 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 a while. Um, Mo, how long do you think before the the rebuilding process is complete? Because it seems like you know, Tomiyasu is coming at right back long term. Ben White, Gabriel, long term. Tierney, long term. Partey, potentially Lokonga, long-term. Smithrow, Odegaard, long-term. Saka, long-term. Pepe, not too sure about him right now. And we've still got the matter of the number nine as well. So how far are we away from seeing an Arsenal that's going to be competing, um, uh, you know, with a with a kind of a recognisable squad a makeup for a, at least three to five years? Look, you know, it, it's really, it's really tough to say. And I, I know that I've, earlier on, I've kind of talked about renewed optimism and and everything. But the problem that I have at the moment is that simply because we've signed youth, there's this assumed kind of there's this assumption that we're going to benefit from their growth and they're all going to come to fruition at the right time together and everything. And and it's like, well, actually, you know, that doesn't always work. So in terms of this rebuild being complete, we, that is contingent on all of these players coming good. And it's also contingent on the manager being the right man. Okay. And I would just throw a bit of caution there on both of those. I, I'm, I'm wiping the slate clean with Arteta because it's like, you know, what else do you do? Like, I don't want to sit here um, hating the guy I want to like him. I want him to do well. So I want to get behind him. I'm giving him my support. I'm trying to, this is what I do with managers. I give him as many chances, as many excuses. And then I, when I finally run out, I think to myself, well, bloody hell, like 90% of the fan base would have turned by that point. I really do try. But um, I'm not fully convinced with Arteta by any means. And, and the reality is, do I think that he's going to be the man that completes the rebuild? Honestly, at this stage, no, I don't don't see that. I really hope he proves me wrong. And, you know, the last three games are the start of that, I hope. Additionally, when I mentioned that these players might not be the ones, the reason I say that is when we signed Saliba, when we signed Gwendouzi, mm. 
they were meant to be long-term youth players. Look what's happened to them. And and there's more examples. Let's say uh, Ronison. He's another example. You know, what happened there? So sometimes we can get it wrong. Now, when you look at these players and how they've hit the ground running, they look absolutely great. Again, Maro and Shamak looked incredible when he first came into the club. Got, you know, Never loads of goals in that his first name. few games. <laughs> yeah. Now, I do, I do say to myself that when Shamak was scoring all those goals, were you convinced? The answer was no. When Tomiyasu is playing the way he's playing, are you convinced? The answer is yes. You can still spot a difference. It doesn't mean that just because Shamak didn't do well after a good start that no one's going to do well. I do think these will be good, be good players. But Mikel Arteta, I think a lot of this depends on him and his man management. He does. He seems to go straight to exile as his solution mm-hmm. when there's a problem with a player rather than coaching or a bit of humility or putting an arm around a shoulder or a clear the air meeting, you know. And mm-hmm. if he continues to do that, well, actually these long-term project players won't be successful. So I'm just trying to articulate here a lot of the questions in my mind, a lot of the fears in my mind. We've got a good setup right now to deliver, but, you know, a plan is only a plan, you know, it doesn't mean that it's going to, going to be delivered on. Well, that, that was, um, kind of nicely transitioning to my next question, which was, um, okay, let's assume that, you know, Arteta, something goes wrong in the future and, um, it doesn't end well for him. At this moment, things seem to be looking up, but not many fans are convinced that he's the right man. What what are the characteristics that are missing from him? I mean, what what is he missing in order to be this well-rounded coach? Other than the 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 obvious, which is the experience. It's the man management piece for me. I, I really really feel like he he's quite a stubborn guy. When when for example you mentioned last year we were struggling and then ESR Saka you know the youngsters came into the team and we had an upturn in performances. You know, we have to remember that we were crying out for a number 10. The fans could see it. Then the pundits started focusing on it, started showing that big gap in the middle of the park. When he finally got ESR into the team, who was available before then as well, by the way, he um, he then saw an upturn in performances. But throughout that time when we were struggling, he refused to play Mesut Ozil. So I was questioning your decisions. And that was just one example. There were many last season where I was just thinking wow, your decision-making is crazy. Like, it it doesn't make sense to me. Now we're seeing him um, put out a consistent team where everyone was able to predict that team against Tottenham. It Mm. was just so obvious. We all know next game, that back five is going to stay the same. And I'm, I'm getting less of these erratic decisions. There's no signs of that really awful bad management. So I hope that this isn't just sort of like a calm period, but I hope that this is a sign of him learning from his lessons because I feel, I feel like tactically he, he can be a good manager. He has proved that in the FA Cup run, for example, that individual games, he can pull, pull that out the bag. It's just that whether previously it was maybe overly complex as well. But, you know, the basis is there. The basis is there. And um, he now just needs to not even set the world alight, just don't make the really bad mistakes that he was making last season. And the last thing I would say as well is that the one thing that I would question with him is that he was, he came in as a head coach. After nine months, he was promoted to manager. You know, I'm just not convinced that that was the right decision. Hmm. And and I, I feel like, there's quotes out there from Richard Pochettino. There's quotes out there from Thomas Tuchel who have said specifically that I'm just a coach. And they've spoken about that in a positive 
manner. In fact, Tuchel definitely did. He almost put the Champions League win down to the fact that he can just focus on coaching. With Pochettino, he spoke about how maybe he should be called a head coach and not a manager because he doesn't have the involvement in transfers. And that was when he was doing quite well at Tottenham. Hmm. I think that maybe that was a wrong call and it shows uh, the experience of the people around him, above him, who put him in that promoted role. I don't think it did many favours. And maybe it's taken quite a while for him to get used to that role. And hopefully now we're seeing the uptick in the performance because he's more accustomed to it. Yeah, and look, we will talk about, uh, touch on a bit about the structure of the organisation as a, as a whole. But James, um, is it is it right, or should we as a fan base, um, have expectations for Arsenal this season? I mean, what what do you expect from Arsenal to achieve? Um, and is it realistic enough at this point? I mean, we've all come to an agreement that we are in the middle of a process it's difficult to kind of um it's it's, diff- it's difficult to predict you know what happens mm-hmm. because it's so kind of sporadic which it shouldn't be but we're at a good place right now and so it's difficult to kind of think negatively but when when we're in a negative place it's almost like it's so difficult and almost impossible to think of a, a, of a Positive, good situation yeah. yeah so um is it is it right for us to have an expectation and if so what 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 do we expect from Arsenal this season? I know, and I know, you know we've what? had six games only, but I think know. regardless of yeah. regardless of the fact that we, regardless of the fact that we started the season as Arsenal fans, we should always have expectations because we always want our, our club to do well. But I do, I do acknowledge the fact that we are in. I'm trying to use a better word than process because it's actually annoying me. Um, we are in this kind of rebuild uh, situation. Um, but do I expect? What do I expect from this season? I expect I expect us to give a real, a real good account of ourselves going forward. I think these these three games that we've had are obviously building blocks to to something bigger and something greater. And hopefully, I, I remember that there's a quote from Arteta that said, um, "When when we when we get everybody together, this project will go bang." Bang was it? I think yeah. it was. Yeah. So maybe maybe we're we're starting to see some of that. Um, hopefully, um, but I just love to give a real good account of ourselves and maybe sneak into Europe. Europe but I may be kidding myself if I think we're going to get there this so, season. Are you looking? But, are you looking at more the performance side of things, or like, do you have like specific achievements that you want Arsenal to meet? Um, I think I think the cup competition is is a good is a good start. I think we're doing well in that. If we can get if we can get to a final, maybe a semi, um, then then that will be good. In terms of league position, I just want to finish as high as possible. Mm. Whether it be, I don't expect us to finish in top four. I think I think we might just be outside like we were last season, but who knows? I can't really judge because I, it's, like a, it's like a switch with Arsenal. You can have three good games and then three terrible games. So I, I can't really judge it right now. Mm. Um, I don't know what your opinion is. I mean, look, the reason why I ask is because I'm kind of in a bit of a conundrum myself. I don't really know whether it's right for me to have expectations on an Arsenal side that are rebuilding. (laughs) If you you were to ask me last season, I'd say top four, absolutely, definitely, 100%. They must achieve that. And now come to this season, at the beginning of the season, again, it was top four, 200%. If they don't get top four, then Arteta needs to be replaced um, and something Mm. drastic needs to be done. But now I'm in a bit of a situation where I think all of us, we've lowered our expectations a little bit and we kind of mm. go in with each game Mo what about you I mean do you think it's right that we have expectations if so what kind of expectations do you have 
Well, you know, it's, it's really tough because my expectations of Arsenal Football Club, almost like I don't care who the hell the manager is, I don't care what the hell's going on, just what I've dined on my whole life. I'm 36 yeah. years old. You know, what I've got used to. Top four and a trophy. Mm. Minimum expectation for me. So now I almost feel like, well, there's no point in me saying that now because it's not realistic, you know? So I kind of feel like for Arteta to stay in the job, um, I mean, that's still my desire. Don't get me wrong. That's still my desire. That's what I'll be happy with to get top four and a trophy. But for Arteta, I, I wouldn't then say if you finish fifth and losing the FA Carnival, you, you deserve to get sacked for Arteta. But what I'm saying is for Arteta to stay in a job, top six and um, at a minimum, and on top of that, he, he better not voluntarily exit from any of these cup competitions, like put in a really, really good account of yourselves. Because I felt like um, last season with Southampton, we lost in the FA Cup and yeah, Villarreal was showing over two legs was awful i thought he really really did himself a disservice mm. i want to see arsenal given that we've got no chance of winning the league make a real fist of giving the fans something to sing about at the end of the season whether it's carabao cup preferably fa cup we need to make a proper fist of those so top six and a proper proper run in the cup competitions is my expectation mm. well like i said i'm still yet to kind of um find a place where I can I can be happy with any expectations but look I'm gonna um, slightly turn a corner on the conversation and um, talk about something quite quite major I mean we could make, make we could make a whole episode about this kind of topic but look should Arsenal exceed expectations um, what do we do about this age-old problem that we've got in our backside which is the Cronkies um, and I know this is kind of swaying away from from the, the the conversation and from the from the league from the season and it's something that we've kind of turned a blind eye to, but the problem is still there. We saw Daniel Ek at the Emirates with Thierry Henry. Um, and I guess that's the first time I kind of, you know, almost remembered and, you know, reality kind of seeped in that we have this, the, the organisation, the structure of our of our kind of football club is still in a massive shambolic mess. So, Mo. Say we, you know, we make the impossible happen. We win the league. <laughs> it's never going to happen. But say we win the league. Um, what do, what do we do about the Cronkies? Is it do we kind of um, find an, an, a new tune for them, a new kind of attitude, or is it still the same kind of story that you know this is the reason why we're in this mess is because Stan and his son don't know how to run a football club. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, even when I th when I really think about it uh, and take stock of what's happened in the last decade or since the Cronkies have come in, that even coincided with Arsene Wenger, um, you know, falling out of favour with fans who at one point was absolutely untouchable. I, I feel like they have been an absolute virus in this club and have and, and that virus has spread. And that, that virus you could call a lack of ambition. You can call a lack of know-how. It's, it's really frustrated me, a lack of footballing acumen we're very very inexperienced in in the um kind of off the pitch spine because i always say there's two spines in a football club the one on the pitch and the one like wearing the suits now even on the pitch it's a very inexperienced spine ramsdale gabriel Partey is probably the most experienced out there then we've got some you know smith rowe erdegaard Abamyang, bit of experience. There's not a lot of experience there in in our on the pitch spine. So I think the club is littered with a lack of experience, 
And I think that that comes from um, a lack of experience, given that Kroenke is so inexperienced in football. I don't think he realises just how important these things are and he hasn't put the right people in the right places. Mm. So if we win the league, and I know this is not realistic, if, if, you've, if you've just somehow landed on this part of the podcast and you hear about Arsenal fans talking about Arsenal winning the league, please relax, yeah. please rewind and get the context of the conversation. Um, then it will be in spite of the owners, not because of the owners. So that energy has always got to be kept up in terms of wanting them out. It's why, mm. as much as I love that um, blue Adidas kit this season, I'm not buying it because I'm not putting my money into the Cronkies pockets or not supporting the, the, the club on that whilst they are owned by the Cronkies. So I really would love to see uh, someone else acquire the club, but I have to admit, I'm also very frustrated by Daniel Ek at the moment because Stan Cronkey, I know he's kind of a bit off the scene now and it's more about Josh, but throughout the time Stan Kroenke was involved with the club. His nickname was Silent Stan. Yeah. What's the difference between Silent Stan and Daniel Ek? I'm not hear, hearing anything from Daniel Ek. And I, I find that quite frustrating because it's not hard, Daniel, to know what Arsenal fans didn't like about Stan Kroenke. It was that we never felt that we got any sort of... Um, communication from him so that's the least you can do especially when you know so many of us are so emotionally invested in you purchasing the club we're desperate for it to happen so when things happen like for example oh i'm coming with this team of Vieira, burkamp Henri, and all the fans are lapping it up mm. yes we're lapping it up but we're also not idiots when patrick Vieira then goes and takes a job uh in a, pre a premier league club as manager a london I would club like as well what does that mean what does that mean for your project is someone coming in for him you know, is that the end of everything? I don't want the next contact to just be you pictured with Thierry Henry wearing a retro shirt. I mean, that's hardly inconspicuous, was it? They were obviously going to get noticed. So Daniel Ek, I don't think this is all by chance that he's seen publicly at the North London Derby, a huge fixture next to our greatest ever player, one of, you know, the, the obvious options as greatest ever player wearing a flipping Arsenal shirt. Mm. You know, these things are being done intentionally and it annoys me. Set up an avenue of communication with the fans. I'm not saying you've got to jump on our podcasts. I'm not saying you've got to reply to our tweets. Just set up a website, release a statement every now and then. I can assure all the Arsenal fans my interest is still as firm as ever and I will be monitoring the situation as closely as possible and working with a long-term vision to acquire the club. Just that. What? Just every now and then, some communication. Because I don't want my communication to be as silly as this. I'm, I've got to the point now where I'm almost thinking about Daniel Ek. Like, are you just enjoying mingling with these legends? Who wouldn't want to watch a North London derby with Thierry Henry, for God's sake? So, yeah, I, I think his, his comms, his PR needs to be significantly improved for me to look at him and think, you're the answer. But I certainly know Kroenke's not the answer. And on that basis, I would spin the dice with, uh, with Daniel Ek. What do you think we're we're going to get from the uh, the Amazon documentary? I mean, I'm I'm assuming that uh, Josh is going to be all over it because of the fact that we have a documentary. But do you think we have any? Do you think we'll be in line with for any kind of major surprises of how? Because I don't know at this point. You know, I'm, I'm a, I, I like to call, I like to consider myself as quite you know a big fan. I I, I want to know everything that's going on in my club, but I can't put my finger on who's running things at Arsenal and who's making the important decisions. Who who Arteta works with? They say he works with Edu quite quite closely, but does Edu, uh, does Edu work closely with Vinay or not? Um, you know, 
what kind of surprises do you think will be in line uh, for when the when the documentary comes out? It's such a good question. I think that um, I think we 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 will. At face value, let's say, for example, I'm watching this with my wife who doesn't follow the affairs of Arsenal Football Club to the extent that I do. I think she would be surprised that I've been complaining about these cronky boys for so long and they actually seem to be really involved and really care. I think that would be the surprise to the untrained eye. We will all know that he is there because the Amazon cameras are there. No other reason. You know, that's why he is, you know, coming across favourably. That will be a huge, huge sort of spin that will be um, attempted in this documentary, in my opinion. And I think the other surprise where I feel like it will be a genuine one will be when we uncover via the documentary, if they do uncover it, what the working relationship relationship is between Edu, Arteta and Vinay. I still do not understand who reports into who, mm. who has the power of wielding the axe over who. Um, and that I, I feel like is frustrating. I, I wonder even internally, is that absolutely clear? So it will be surprising to me if we do get that clarity from the documentary. Yeah, uh, something that, you know, every week I have to be reminded of because... Um, yeah that's my fault sorry yeah. no 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 i'm i'm you know i'm clenching my teeth i'm really excited for it um right we'll, we'll, we'll end this podcast um by having a quick look at the next game so um james we are playing yeah. brighton away uh we've been receiving some news that both camps will be um without some you know quote unquote key players if you want to call grant shaker a key player um <laughs> but look we'll, we'll, what do you think Arsenal have in store um, on Monday? It's a Monday evening kickoff, isn't it? It's so, a Saturday, isn't it? Is it a yeah, Saturday? Saturday oh, God, what am I looking at? Yeah. I was looking at yeah. the... Yeah, I don't know what game I'm thinking of. Probably the Palace. The Palace one is on Monday, isn't it? Yeah, Palace is uh, on Monday. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, so Saturday, 5.30, Saturday evening. The whole world's eyes will be on yeah. us. Um, do you think we will be able... Well, what, what kind of performance Arsenal do Arsenal need to put in? Because the performance against Norwich compared to uh, Burnley were very different. So what kind of performance do you think they'll need to put in? A very dominant one or one where they're cautious and they need to kind of um, tactically approach it a little bit differently? I think you make a good point when you said the world will be watching because they will be. <coughs> Excuse me. And it will be time we either can put in a performance that everyone, everyone watching will go, you know what, maybe they've turned a corner and maybe, you know, they can move on and, and move up the table or we can put in an absolutely rubbish one where people could go same old Arsenal did, uh, you know they've not they've not learned they had a, a few good games and they've just gone back to square one so I do I do think it, it will be a it will be a situation of putting you know letting letting the world see putting in a dominant performance and, and making people sit up and, and really really you know take notice of us because I feel like we need to be taken notice of if we want to be taken seriously and I think two good performances against Brighton and Tottenham would do that um, but I I am aware of a certain Neil Malpe and what he likes to do and other players as well but Neil Malpe is the one that I, I draw to because of the situation with Matteo a few seasons ago and uh, his his <laughs> He, he does like to jive at Arsenal, so there might be a few things said in the press leading up to it that might that might you know rile us up a little bit. Well, which will, which will make it a little bit tasty. I can't I can't lie. Um, but yeah, I think I think if we put in a dominant performance and people can actually see that we're genuinely on the up, then I think we'll we'll be okay. 
Uh, Mo, um, I'm just having a look at the list of injuries that Brighton have. So these are players that we will vow. Uh, Bissouma, they'll be missing. Um, they're also going to be missing Stephen Alzati. That's a big one. Uh, Welbeck as well. So he won't be able to play against us, against his former club. And well, I think those are the only major ones. Do you think th- they are the strongest? They're the backbone of Brighton because when I look at their squad, they've got some tremendous players. Adam Webster's got to be out as well. Um, but at the back, they'll still have Lewis Dunk, Dan Byrne. They'll still have um, Trossard. I think Trossard is an incredible player, truly same, underrated. Same. I think he's so underrated. Mm, mm. Um, really good on the wing, balls that he whips in, brilliant. Um, Lalana's not half bad at his age. Um, Solly March, another player, really underrated. <laughs> And up front, like um, James said, still the matter of Neil Mope to, to take care of. So do you think Arsenal can consider themselves quite lucky to be playing a Brighton side without uh, some key players? Or do you think it's still going to be a, a, you know, a really tough kind of competitive game? I'm sure it'll still be a tough game but I do think that that, for me that's the context of the game going into it Arsenal have got no injuries other than Granit Xhaka um, and uh, Brighton have got significant injuries and very key players so there can be no excuses you know if we talk about injuries we say Granit Xhaka they say we raise you Basuma and loads of others so um, it's just not it's not something that we can use as an excuse and we're going into it in good form but the, the worry for me is that, I have to be honest with you, when I looked, when Arsenal uh, had the really bad sort of first three games, I looked at the next three and that was my complete focus because it culminated with the North London derby. I, I didn't even look beyond that. The, I, it's almost like I didn't know, even in the back of my mind, that we were playing Brighton after Tottenham because I couldn't look past Tottenham. Hmm. And I think when you put so much focus on one game... It's almost as if you feel like the job's done once you play that game and win that game. Now, that I'm only talking about me. I just worry that the players would have had such a build-up to that Tottenham game. Mm. I really am just hopeful that they don't kind of take their foot off the gas in any way. I hope they realise, actually, no, this is a marathon and that game was just as important as the next sort of thing. So that's my concern. That They might just take the eye off the ball that we did it. We beat Tottenham and, you know, because of that, the pressure's off slightly. Mm. And yeah, it is that age old kind of question, you know, do Arsenal have this, have they, have they passed this mental block, this mindset of, you know, being on a high for a few games and then come, coming, tumbling back down. Um, Okay. I think I'm going to end it here. Uh, We've had a really good chat this evening about, quite a few different issues and um, different topics surrounding Arsenal. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to James, um, to Mo especially for taking the time out this evening. Thank you very, very much. It's highly appreciated. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this chat. I I didn't know what I was expecting, um, but this has been really refreshing to and we say that about all of our guests but especially you um i've i've always wanted to have a conversation with you because i'm always on the receiving end of a of a of a of a, of a screen you know and i'm always thinking to myself yeah i agree with you mo but <laughs> you know i could count yeah. that but yeah so you know really really appreciate you coming on um you guys can find mo on twitter at mo i'm um, sorry at arsenal mo 
eight at Arsenal M O H eight. Um, he's also got a YouTube channel as well. I highly recommend you guys check that out. Um, ever since being released on a free transfer, um, <laughs> I hope you don't. I don't know if you don't mind me putting it that way, but um, he's he's um he's he's he started his own YouTube channel and actually he's had it for a while, but he's started to you know post quite regularly and um you've got uh, match reactions on there with uh, a range of different fans from a range of different countries as well um and obviously uh the main man himself mo so look mo thank you very much for coming on really appreciate it um do you have any kind of closing remarks anything you want people to uh, know about going on in your own personal life anything that they should check out I've got one closing remark, and that would be to say it's only right that look, you've had me on your platform and we've spoken about expectations for the Brighton game and Arsenal in, in a lot of detail. So how about I invite you onto my platform for the next game? Why don't you send in a match reaction after Brighton? I'll get you all set up. And um, then you can also point people to this podcast and they can learn more about what you're doing and everything. And then we can see how you are in front of the camera giving your match reactions. And I can uh, have the pleasure of listening to what you've got to say rather than just it being the other way around i think that'd be a great idea what yeah. do you think james yeah that'd be great man <laughs> that'd be really nice i yeah, really appreciate great. that thank you mo um yeah cool. so let, we'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you after this and i'll send you all the information that you need and yeah i can't wait hopefully i get to see you talking about three points one at brighton absolutely yeah. absolutely fingers crossed um, well that's it from us thank you very much for, lis- for listening if you enjoyed this episode you can give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts um, you can find us over on Twitter if you have any um, questions or if you have any feedback about this episode you can find me on Twitter at since 96 you can find James at James Payne AFC and you can find our own Twitter page um, the Arse Therapy Pod I think I've got that right it's, it's so difficult yeah. remembering <laughs> like twitter at yeah um but yeah we'll be back for the uh brighton post-match reaction we'll be discussing the game and hopefully three points um but until then have yourselves a very good week thank you very much bye-bye